Welcome to the Church Explained Podcast, a conversation to grow your leadership and build your church. Today, I'm joined by Simon McIntyre, who is a little bit of a bio about him, originally from Australia, but he lived in the UK in London for 11 years, uh, but now is in Miami. What a great place to go to. He is the overseer of the C3 Church uh, regional areas, UK, Europe, and now in the USA, as you've said there, with your wife, Valerie. Is that correct? That's correct. I, li- I like to get that right, just in case there. So uh, that sounds fantastic. Uh, you were originally one of the members of the plant by Pastor Phil Pringle in the 1980s of the C3 Church. But of course, now you've been continuing in this sort of C3 Global Team member. You've got three children, nine grandchildren, but no pets. Well, well done on that one. You've got a, a Bachelor of Theology uh, from Sydney and an MA in uh, Theology also from the UK. Uh, you've got a private pilot's license uh, with uh, aerobatics. That's really interesting. I think we may get into that a little bit th- this afternoon. And you've written four books and you've said in there, unfortunately, none of them is a bestseller but maybe that could change after this podcast. You never know, Simon. <laughs> well, you never know. Hey, listen, it's great to have you on the show with us. A big welcome. How are things where you are in Miami at the minute? Hot, cold, what's it like there? Um, Dave, it's always hot. Oh. So right now, um, when I got up this morning to um, go for my beach walk, it was 31 degrees and with about 84% humidity. And that's a nice day. I like it. So in the last uh, few weeks, the temperature has been up to 116. Wow. And so I guess for you you moving from London to Miami, it mustn't have been much of a problem, really. You must have just jumped at the chance, did you? (laughs) Well, it reminds me. It reminds me of Sydney more than London does. (laughs) Well, 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 we'll say no more. Hey, but listen, so good to have you here with us. Um, I shared a little bit about your bio there, but I just wonder, Simon, could you share a little bit more about your faith story, your ministry journey, a little bit about your background and family, and of course, what you do for fun. Now, you may have already covered that in the private pilot's license, but maybe you've got some other things you do for fun. We will find out on the show today. But Simon, why don't you just kick us off and just tell us a little bit more about yourself. Okay, thank you, Dave. Look, um, when I was 19 years old, I had the fairly typical radical conversion to Jesus. I was a drummer in a rock band. Uh, We used to play music like Santana, Pink Floyd, etc. Not as well as those bands, but we did our best. Uh, And then I had this conversion that all of that went. And I, I never regretted it. It was like, follow Jesus and leave everything behind. And that's how it struck me. And that's I, I, like I said, that's what I did, and I've never looked back. Um, I joined a local church, a very small church, that um, coincidentally was led by a very conservative Englishman. And uh, so my introduction to Jesus was culturally a tremendous shock because of this very conservative Pentecostal church. But okay. never thought twice about it. It never bothered me because I'd found Jesus and a new family. And I realized that cultural relevance only lasts one generation anyway. So that was, that was a joy to me. Uh, in 1980, we moved into Sydney with pastors Phil and Chris. And while people say that we started the church together, I'd like to correct that. Phil started it and I was his, I, we were there helping. 
So we were there right from the very early days. Um, I was there until 2011. Uh, three years prior to that, my, my wife Helen um, died of cancer. So a number of years after that, I married a New York girl, Valerie. Wow. Um, so I've, I've lucked out twice, although a difficult interlude. And then we, um, from there, we moved to Miami, as I, I said, part of the global team. Um, my family, who, as you get older, Dave, they become, they start to mean more and more to you. Not that they mm. ever didn't mean anything to me. So we've just returned from a trip seeing my family in Australia. And so that was both wonderful and terrible. Um, wonderful seeing them, terrible getting back on an aeroplane. Uh, but we will be joining them more over the next few years. For fun, what do I do for fun? Well, I don't fly anymore. Um, it's an expensive hobby. Sure. And London, I couldn't keep my endorsements up in London because of the weather. You cannot do aerobatics in clouds. <laughs> that's, that's what they call um, buying that, that's that's a short trip to a grave. I hear you. Um, but um, I read a lot. I love reading. I love writing. And you know, coincidentally, we travel an enormous amount, but it's never been on my my life is none of my life's planned out. Wow. You know, if, if that may touch some people, the nerve and some people. I haven't planned all this out. I never planned my wife dying. I never planned marrying another beautiful girl. I never planned having nine grandchildren. I never, well, maybe I did in having three children. I never <laughs> planned the moves. Yeah. So when we're in Europe, for instance, we traveled an enormous amount and uh, we, love, we loved Europe. Uh, favorite spots like the south of France and mm. Switzerland and Italy yeah, yeah. and Greece. I mean, but none of that was on my plan. We just happened to go to those places and learn to enjoy them. So at the moment, what's my hobby? Well, we're, we have a home here in Miami and we've just purchased a home in Australia as well. So my next hobby is to um, help my wife not spend a million dollars on each piece of furniture. <laughs> that, that is an interesting hobby to have. Good luck with that one. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> Well, hey, it's just an interesting way for you even to approach leadership as you're sharing there. Some of it was implants. Of course, some of it was intentional, but I get that sense of what you're saying there that actually as you're open to God and you're just open to what's next, you find yourself in different places. So you've written four books. We've, we've mentioned that already. And your latest book, I think, we want to dive into that a little, little bit today if we can, some of the things in there. So the title of the new book is called uh, Lessons in the, in the Wilderness. And uh, that's the story of Joshua. And we want to touch on that this afternoon. So I've got a few questions around that. Is that okay? Just to get this yes. moving and to get us thinking. And, and like, don't be afraid to shock our audience in a good way. You know, you know uh, it's a good thinking audience. I hope so anyway. <laughs> so, but uh, feel free just to, just to share what's in your head and what's in your heart as well. So in your, in your latest book, you really contrast this idea between, I guess, the business model of leadership and the biblical model of leadership. And, and, and as I began to think of it, it got me around this idea of the contra contrast between the two, but also, like, would the church be better without a business model of leadership. What's your thoughts on that? I mean, sure, you can share a little bit more about the book as, as we go through as well. Um, I, I'm, I'm not inclined to throw the baby out with the bathwater, Dave. Sure. Um, I think there are some 
I think we always unconsciously are going to reflect the, um, the, the era we live in. And in regards leadership and business leadership, it became very popular in the 1980s, mm. 1990s. And so I think in some ways we live in that world, we reflect that world, and some of it hasn't harmed us. The sense of, you know, less committee-led and more visionary-led, that's mm. great. The ideal that God gives a man a vision and people can gather around that, I'm, I'm a fan of that. I don't think it plays out in the New Testament quite like it does in the Old Testament okay. for different reasons. Um, so I don't think it's all um, gloom and doom. I think there's some stuff we've learnt. Uh, Bill Hybels years ago said um, it's, everything is about leadership. And, um, you know, at the time it sounded very appealing, but if you look at the New Testament, it doesn't say a lot about leadership. Now, mm. it assumes leadership, and therefore you don't have to say a lot about leadership. But I think we've said too much about that. It's like everything pivots on leadership. I don't think it does. In Romans chapter 12, it's one of seven gifts, mm. and it's in the middle of the list. It's, it's not at the top. So I think we've pivoted too far toward a business mindset. And, and you know, some of the things that to me would identify that are things like unilateral decision-making. It sounds good when you're young, but it comes very dangerous when you get a bit older. Sure. Um, success, success orientation, which is always about numbers and money, no matter how we divide it up, that's what it ends up being about. How much money comes in, um, how many members do we have, or or how many souls are saved. And they are, they are not unimportant, you know, dynamics. But I don't think they are what should drive us so much as creating disciples, Matthew 28. Mm. Um, the business model is always chasing goals. And I know in church life where that kind of leadership is prevalent, there's never, there's very rarely a time of rest. It's always the next thing, the next sure. goal, the yeah, next yeah. demand. Yeah. And whilst, whilst a strong leader thrives on that i think after a while a church tires of that and i think that's borne out and within 15 to 20 years those surges and numbers do stop and we have we have to deal with the more boring parts of church life which may be uh more more historically common i think uh we're process and principle oriented rather than spiritually oriented i am heartened when churches um have prayer at the start of things we had one board member that once said to us in Sydney, one of the reasons I like being in this church is that you begin your board meetings with prayer. Mm. And uh, we thought that was normal. He thought that was unusual. Wow. Um, and I think one of my, one of my things, I, I wrote a fun article, and it was about the Apostle Paul and why he would not be invited to leadership seminars in the Western world today. So there are so many factors about him. He doesn't make the cut on so many issues, and yet he's the greatest Indeed. To me, the greatest human in history, aside from the Apostle Paul, um, aside from Jesus himself. So I think to counteract that, um, we have to be more discipleship oriented. Momentum should not be our primary goal. It should be the growth of the Christ likeness in our members. That's hard work. It's long work. And it takes sometimes many years to see great fruit. But I am also hard to see that that theme is swinging back into church life. It's not disappeared. Mm. Yeah, I, I, I like that idea of the discipleship in there and the spiritual, I guess people have described this as spiritual formation in, in yes. people's lives. So what, if, if 
like l- listen to what you're saying there in one sense if you think the church is focused too much on leadership what else do we need to focus on besides the discipleship stuff is there anything else that you think that um, really breathes life into the church well i think things like prayer and fasting the hunger for god's word um and I know this is a bit. Uh, this is not controversial, but it but it could be seen as a slap with churches. Is that our messages are often um, help me to have a better life messages, which mm-hmm. I think are important, but they should not be the diet. I think the diet should be a trans scripture, and it's it's. I, I find in many cases scripture is like proof text rather mm. than foundation. Gotcha. So when scripture is a foundation to preaching, you bounce out of scripture. But when you're proof text, you're just finding um, scripture to validate your point. I hear you. And I'm not sure that you can read scripture like that effectively long term. But I, I look, I would always swing back to discipleship, Dave. I think that's, you know, that's it's the last words Jesus said, isn't it? Go make mm. disciples of all nations, mm. baptizing them into the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Ghost. And also, this is un- unpleasant and commanding them to obey everything I've told you. Those two words are very unpopular, command and obey. Strong words. And I suspect we've, we've softened the approach to the gospel. But here's the weirdest thing. People respond better to a higher call than a softened call for convenience sake. Mm. It's better to say, drop all and follow me. You'll have more long-term fruit out of that than add Jesus to your life so that your life is a better life. That will always end up in disappointment. Yeah, yeah, slightly, slightly different approach there, really, isn't it? To how many leaders and churches are being run, I guess, across the world, um, and it, yes. I would say not just in the UK. I mean, there's there's a lot of a lot of areas we could go down there. Um, what, what do you What do you think as we think of some of the lessons in the book that you have written recently? You're thinking of Joshua. Um, what do you think are the key things we can learn from his leadership for us today? Yes, the, uh, yeah, and I guess that's the point of the book. Yeah, it's what what were the what were the training grounds for Joshua? Yeah, one that I don't spend a lot of time on is wilderness. Everybody needs a wilderness to develop properly. Everybody needs a wilderness to battle their demons. Mm. You know, that's you know the, the wilderness. Uh, Experience, experience of Jesus yeah, yeah. and the wilderness, the wilderness experience of the people of Israel. But I think there are three defining elements that I could yeah. find. There may be more because there's not a lot written about Joshua, so it's not hard to find them. Number one was the faith. He, he had a faith test. Would he believe what God said or would he believe what was popular? And that's mm. the first one, the faith test. Would And it's also not faith as a principle. It's faith in what God has said, not faith in just pulling a rabbit out of the hat sure. kind of faith, yeah. which we've used and it, we have appropriated in the Western world and it's been of some value. But the real issue about faith is it's always faith in a person, Jesus, not faith in a principle. So that's the first lesson. He had to, would he believe that what God said was possible was possible? And he said, yes, it is possible in spite of the um, overwhelming odds mm. that a Appeared before them. That's number one, the faith lesson. A person needs to agree with what God says against their own inclinations. But number two is that he served Moses 
for, what was it, 40 years. Now, in our world, that's a long, long time to serve anybody. Yeah. But he served faithfully. He was in the background. He did what Moses asked. He was succeeded in battle because Moses upheld them. So that's a huge issue in the book. That the, he didn't rewrite what Moses had written. He didn't try to temporize it. He accepted that what Moses conveyed to the people was God's word to the people. And there was a temporal issue to it with the law, but there was the eternal issue of the Ten Commandments, etc., etc. Um, so he served. For 40 years is a long time to serve. Definitely. And I wonder if deep on the inside whether Joshua felt that God had spoken to him, but he subserviated it yeah. to, his, yeah. to his servitude to Moses. Never lost himself. Never became another man, never became Moses, but there he was for 40 years. And then the final thing is, I think it's more of a private issue, is that um, when he lingered in the tabernacle after Moses had left, that's really interesting. He mm. stayed on where he could feel the presence of God. So he became a student of, a disciple of God's presence. And I think in some Jewish um, rabbinical writing, that wilderness tabernacle experience about the presence was also about the word so it wasn't just this sort of sort of feeling of the spirit and of God's power being there but also he incorporated the word of God into what and I would think that a leader that is not devoted to waiting on the Lord devoted to prayer and scripture as deep fundamental parts of their daily routine, then we're dealing with professionalism and we're dealing with danger and we're dealing with personality and we're dealing with giftedness. And they are all dangerous if left to themselves. Um, giftedness, I think, has become almost a curse in the American church. It's, uh, it's, I, I cannot believe the people that are being restored quickly to ministry because they've been restored. It's, that's a long story. But it's like yeah, yeah. it's because their gift is more important than the damage they've done to God's church. And so I'm, I'm less of a fan of that kind of restoration because it's based upon personality and gift. And, oh, we need to get them back into, the ch into you, know, you know, their gift needs to be re-inspired. Forget about it. God's church has been damaged. Let's work mm. on that first. Mm. So I think he, um, those things... And, and combined with that, he was in a wilderness where the, there wasn't a lot to do. There wasn't a lot of sure. fruitfulness. There wasn't a land. And that's what he lived with. And I think if you combine faith, service, and a deep, committed life to God's presence, that built what Joshua was. Now, Joshua made mistakes, which we can talk about if you want. But that was his foundation. And he lived to what? 110 years old. Uh, what's fascinating about Joshua is when he finally, he, he, his whole purpose was to give the people of God the land yeah. and not to build a ministry. So when he went to his latter days, he probably sat under a grapevine, had a lovely red, some nice bread, and lived <laughs> with his grandchildren. Yeah. He did not leave an institution. He did not leave a, 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 a he left a book. Um, detailing his conquests, but he never left anything that was like Moses. He, he quietly faded into virtual obscurity because mm. he'd done what he'd been asked to do. Who can do that? Yeah. That's a, that's a tough call. 
That that is, and I guess that's coming back to the obedience thing, isn't it? Uh, you know, the fact yes. that we're called to obedience and faith above all those other things. I mean, you have mentioned, Josh, it did make some mistakes. As we look at him as a, an example to how we should lead today, thinking of those three things, that faith, that serving, being in the presence of God, what are the things we should avoid then? Maybe not just in Josh's life, but like as leaders today, we've taken on a lot of stuff, as you've described there. You know, we've we've leaned heavy on processes and all that sort of stuff. Like there's got to be almost like a pendulum effect, really. We've, we've got to get back somewhere so we get back to those things. What are the other things we're trying to avoid, do you think, as leaders that would help us? If I use Joshua as an example, um, one of the things he suffered from was assumption. Mm. He assumed that because one thing worked, it would work again. So when they went and took on AI, he had blood on his hands. 36 families lost their fathers or brothers. Wow. Wow. And that's no small issue. And that would have caused a, a real eruption amongst the widows and the family members who lost those men because Joshua simply assumed because it worked at Jericho, it would work at AI. And so... He had to be open to God's spirit for every step of the way sure. rather than assuming that what worked yesterday will work today. And that's, mm. a, that's a big temptation to us because you've done a lot of work getting to, to Jericho. It's a very unusual battle plan. So then the next one looks like a piece of cake, and that's where he failed. It wasn't a piece of cake. And then the reason why he failed is because he didn't recognize that was, there was sin of significance, mm. of significance in the camp. And if he had asked the Lord, should we go, what do we do? Sure. The Spirit of God would have told him, go and deal with that first. And that was a terrifying consequence to that family. Mm-hmm. Oh, no, hold on. That was, that was after. Was that after Jericho? Oh, anyway, they, they do mix up these two. They mix up together somehow. So I think the assumption of victory, and it's like um, you can get a great church being built in one city and it's dangerous to assume therefore you'll replicate that in another city on the other side of the world and um, unless there's a real clear sense of the Holy Spirit saying you meant to be very careful about trying to replicate a, a success that God's Spirit gave you not a process gave you yeah I if think uh, yeah it, it does make sense and I, I think a lot of churches that are planted these days are built on process like we've done that in one place so let's repeat the same process somewhere else and of course yes. as as you're saying that's maybe not the best method it's more to do with that um, sense of being in the presence of God finding out what, what is it that God wants to do in this new place um, yes but, I mean that, that's probably harking back a little bit like as we've already mentioned to, to more a business model of leadership because it's all focused on processes rather than the presence of God. I mean, they're not really thinking about the presence of God. And, 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 and I agree with you. We're not there to throw out the baby with the bathwater. We've learned a lot. We can use that no. stuff. Mm. But I guess it's when we lean too heavy on that stuff and we look for success in these things that becomes a danger. And that's the assumption, I guess, a little bit like Georgia, different context. But it's the same assumption, isn't it? We assume it's going to work here because we do A, B, C, and um, and that's not that's not always the case, is it? 
No, there's a good example in the States here, and I won't mention names because I have great respect for these people. They're doing a brilliant job in helping fund church planting. There's quite a few mm. organisations here that do that. Sure. But I, 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 being slightly cynical, I said to a, a, um, a, a, one of the representatives of this group, I met him at a conference, and, and we, I, just, I said, can I ask some tough questions? He said, uh, you're going to be Australian, aren't you, or English? <laughs> yeah. And um, I, I said, it appears to me that your church model works brilliantly in the South, where social media gathers numbers very fast. I said, can you name a successful church plant in New York or LA? Wow. And he couldn't. Wow. Because the, the, the idea that this model is, you know, pan-universalist, and its application is just wrong. Mm. I remember another group came out of the States years ago, and I'm not picking on America because I live here and there's a lot to love about living here. <laughs> but I remember another group, they went all around the world trying to start um, some churches modelled after a, a very big Baptist church. And they basically said to me, oh, do you have anybody that could lead, lead, a, lead a church for us? Well, that, that just doesn't work with me. You disciple people, you don't just go and buy them. But mm. it never worked. Because what works here doesn't work there. Well, that's a wrap for us at the Church Experience Podcast. If you want to subscribe, we'd love you to do that. You can find out more about us um, and all the different platforms. We've got lots of free resources on our website, icon.church forward slash open. Lots of free resources for you to download for your church, free of charge, and you can use them whatever way you want.